Well, it's been a little while since we've put a podcast out. I know. It's been a while. Fair Healing been a wall as far as the podcasts go. Mm -hmm. I mean, our site's still up. People are still using resources. We're talking to clients and our counseling. Mm -hmm. People are calling us up and we're doing phone coaching. Mm -hmm. By the way, if you're listening to this and you would like some individual help, go to fairhealing.com slash coaching and you'll get information about how with Sharon or me or Jennifer, our other counselor here, you can talk to any of us individually and personally so we can give you more specific input. Mm. We've been doing our monthly open care mm -hmm. question and answer call-in sessions. In fact, today's podcast is going to be built around some of the questions that we received during open care sessions. And we've gone back and pulled a few of those out. And even though we gave responses at the time of the call, not everybody hears those. Mm -hmm. And here we can just be a little bit more intentional and thoughtful about what we would say to someone that's asking those questions. We'll probably do this every now and then, yeah. but uh, you can call in to the open care phone calls every first Wednesday of the month, 12 o'clock noon Eastern Standard Time. And again, go to fairhealing.com and just find the open care sessions page under the services or resources we offer, and you'll get all the information about that. Today, we're going to pick out four questions mm -hmm. from the past, now six months maybe, mm -hmm. that uh, we've received from callers mm -hmm. and talk about them. You ready to do this? I think so. <laughs> all right. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim and Sharon Tedder. Hi, Tim. Uh, my question is, um, my, my, my husband's affair recently ended after many years and the other woman um, apparently is the one who ended it so you know he's going through a lot of withdrawal and is um, really um, uninterested in doing anything with me to improve the marriage go to counseling uh, or make any efforts basically just existing um, so what, what can I do, you know, other than obviously focus on improvements in myself and trying to make the marriage better from my end, you know, at, at a certain point, I just feel like we're at such a crucial time. Um, this, this is his second affair. I, I didn't know about the first. Um, okay. And, and I've been working for three years to try to, you know, save my marriage. And now um, we did have a false recovery about a year ago, so I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned that this you know, could turn into another false recovery if we don't do something. My heart goes out to this woman, but I got I to gotta be honest. I have a pretty strong reaction when I hear some of the things she said. You know, obviously, as a counselor, you have to be careful of your own reactions. We're always having to be aware of our own feelings about things. You would have an empathetic response to some of the things she's going absolutely, through. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, just to be perfectly transparent, you know, there's that voice in me that says, get out of there, lady. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people would probably be yelling that right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste any time. Mm -hmm. Get out of there. But I know that's coming from my own place of feelings about being in a marriage where you are the betrayed spouse and you are also the only one that is invested in working on it. Yeah. 
And I want to be clear, we would be supportive of anybody who had been betrayed going through a similar circumstance would be saying, I, I don't want this. I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be certain that you want me and be mm-hmm. sorry for what you've mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. I'm out of here. Yeah. I mean, that, that's within her right, certainly do that. But it sounds like she wants, she, she hopes for something different. I know. She wants her marriage. I know, of course. And I want, again, we've talked a lot about this. We are for marriages making it. We yes. are for relationships We're making it. We're for healing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means the marriages make it. And we, we like that if there's any history yeah. of satisfying marriage, if there's any kids involved, all that, that can be good reason to try to satisfy. But it takes two people to do that. Absolutely. And we would never condone somebody staying in a relationship that is harmful in some way to them. So here's, you and I were talking about this, and I made the comment that if this was the first affair, Mm -hmm. I'd have a reaction to it, but I have a stronger reaction to it because this is a repeated pattern. It would be normal in an affair where there's been an emotional attachment in which the affair partner decided to end it, Mm -hmm. that on the other side of that experience, the person who didn't necessarily want the affair to end now has to deal with becoming unentangled emotionally. Mm -hmm. It would be normal for there to be grieving. There'd be normal for there to be a sense of loss. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the way it is. So a betrayed spouse would have to look at that and say, am I okay with someone who's grieving the loss of another Mm -hmm. person? Mm -hmm. They may not be, but if there's a willingness to say, well, let's see where this goes, all right. Mm -hmm. The reality is it probably will take some time. The question is, where will this take him? Well, sure. Will he come to the other side of it, not just grieving the loss and then going, well, okay, let me, I guess, stay in the situation I'm in. Or will, through his grief and pain, be willing to go to that vulnerable place Mm -hmm. where he really examines himself to say, what was going on here? What is the story I'm telling? Am I willing to look at the bad parts of me, the broken parts of Mm -hmm. me, to make a change? The big giant red flag that popped up when I was listening was when she said, he's not interested at all in pursuing me and mm. our marriage and, and working toward it. That's when I went, Ugh, you know. Yeah, well, that would have to shift, mm-hmm. genuinely so. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is a red flag. Mm-hmm. I think you and I would both tell her that in this stage right now, she should really be backing off. There should be at least an emotional separation. Mm. For her to be invested in saying, what can I do to save my marriage? Mm-hmm. It's probably turning things upside down because she needs to have the certainty that that's important to him. Mm-hmm. And it's not now, right? but eventually it should be. Yeah. And if it isn't, she needs to be careful that she's not the one constantly trying to make things change, make things work, mm. or else she'll never be safe in this no, relationship. exactly. Now, the concerning thing here is this isn't the first time. Right. She even talks about a false recovery. Right. So it sounds, and we don't have all the details, but it sounds like at least for a number of years, he was involved in an affair. Then there was this pretense of, well, that's done. I'm over with. She called it a false recovery. And I don't know if he was just you know, saying, right. okay, well, let's make the marriage work, but really wasn't invested. And maybe he wasn't even being completely honest with her. Sure. And the other affair started. So now here they are again. Right. To me, that's a pretty strong indication that there's a pattern here. Right. Exactly. That he's not addressed. Yeah. And that's why it keeps repeating. Let me ask you this. As somebody who in your former life had an affair, <laughs> former life. Yes. Um, what is your hypothesis? And I know that we don't know anything. So it's super hard to just throw around ideas. But why would he even be continuing in his marriage when he 
clearly has issues with being married and being faithful. Why wouldn't he just leave the marriage and go be with random people? Like, Yeah, you're right. I don't know enough. Yeah. I can think of theories. Yeah, what are some theories? Well, like, it can be shame or guilt. I mean, mm-hmm. people don't want to be the bad guy. I don't know what the reaction of his family or the social reaction or whatever, mm-hmm. what business he's in, what that would look oh. like. I mean, I don't know, but that could be that kind of outward pressure of expectation mm-hmm. that I don't want to be the bad guy that ends up doing this. Well, so sure. that's not the story I want to tell. It could also be if there has been a history in their relationship where he was engaged mm-hmm. and he was vulnerable. And I'm not talking about just the beginning romance phase because every guy can be kind of, oh, mm-hmm. I'm engaged with you. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about the beginning of their marriage for a number of years. If he really was invested and vulnerable and connected to her and things change later on, maybe there's that part of him that genuinely recognizes something's off. I don't know that that's true or not, but that's possibly it. It could be circumstantial. Maybe the consequence of losing a marriage would require other things he doesn't want to give up, whether Mm. it's uh, children, whether it's financial, I don't know. Mm. All I know is that whatever it is, that has to be resolved in him. Absolutely. And he has to be the one that turns around and makes it very clear, I want you, I want our marriage, and I'm willing to do the work necessary to help us heal. Yeah. So to answer her question, because she was like, what can I do besides working on me stuff? I would say the thing she should do is stop working on the relationship. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so. actively distance. Mm-hmm. And that does not have to be manipulative or rude. Mm-mm. It just needs to be a clear communication of, listen, I love you, mm-hmm. and I want our marriage to work. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of damage done over a number of years, and I'm not even sure I can trust you anymore. Well, but and he's bad, not trying to right, be trusted. As bad as I team. want it, I can't do it on my sure. own. This requires you to not only be partners with me, but probably to take responsibility for fixing the wounds that you've inflicted mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in our marriage and in my heart. Mm-hmm, right. And it doesn't sound like he cares. Right, right I know. So she wants to communicate that need and then step back to see what happens with that. But what she needs from him is a genuine heartfelt pursuit Mm -hmm. of her and a willingness to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. for the repair of the marriage. And if she's getting anything short of that, I think she's taking a huge risk and remains very vulnerable with someone that's just, okay, well, yeah. Let's move on, but don't expect anything yeah. from me. No, it's You not. need the opposite of that. Right, absolutely. And I know that's hard to do, and we talk about the cost involved in ending a marriage, and I don't know what that would mean for her. I mean, there's insecurity there. There's mm-hmm. maybe financial uncertainty. There's all those mm-hmm. things. But you can tell from her call she desires a renewed relationship mm-hmm. with him, right. a kind of intimate marriage with him, and right. for this stuff to be fixed. And if that's the goal... You're not going to have it unless he changes. I know. And she can't force it. And I almost think there's that element of when it's too easy. Let's say, for example, when he doesn't feel that he has any accomplishment in his marriage, if that makes sense. It's almost like like when you look at like an addict, Mm -hmm. if if, if everybody keeps coming in and rescuing Mm -hmm. the addict, they, they just almost get resentful, I think, in a very primal way. They almost feel resentful of everything being handed to them. And they, yeah. they may not even be aware of that, yeah. but it almost makes it worse than requiring them to step up. And I almost feel like maybe there's that element too. 
if she's still giving, 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 and willing to do the work for both of them to try to invest in the marriage over and over, I wonder if there's that element in him that's just lazy emotionally about it and isn't having that drive to be accomplished in the relationship. Yeah, they both need to know that he is willing and able to be the savior and protector of their marriage. Mm. And if he can't be or doesn't want to be. Yeah. So what is her, you said distancing, what does that look like for her? Well, I think it means at least emotional separation. Maybe mm-hmm. it means physical separation. Okay. And I don't, encourage anybody to do that in a manipulative way. No. Well, I'm going to leave you until you, yeah, unless no, no, you, no, I mean, no. it's not punitive. No, no, no. It's, it's gracious. Mm-hmm. It's loving. It mm-hmm. should be mm-hmm. that I care enough about you that I'm not willing to be part of trying to do something that is really getting this backwards. Mm-hmm. I want a healthy relationship with you. Right. Not one that somehow just exists. Right. And I think the only way that tends to happen in situations like this is if the betrayed spouse backs way off mm-hmm. and, Sometimes that requires physical separation. Sure. And I, I never tell someone, unless there's some kind of abuse or risk right. involved, that they need to permanently separate or divorce. Mm-hmm. I think they have the option to do that. Mm-hmm. And eventually they may decide to do that. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is a kind of temporary separation, at least emotional, sure, uh, but likely physical as well, mm-hmm. for a period of time mm-hmm. until the change is obvious. Mm-hmm. By the way... We don't do these podcasts to sell my books, but I don't mind if people buy them. (laughs) But if you go to affairhealingbook.com and look at the Manual for Betrayed Spouses, chapters three and four, talk about this position and making these choices in very clear Mm -hmm. ways. So Mm -hmm. if it can be helpful to anybody listening, I'd encourage you to go to fairhealingbook.com and get that guide. Uh, It will be beneficial to you. My husband's affair was um, uh, several years ago, and it was just disclosed to me about a year ago. And um, I'm really, really struggling with his lack of memory of the affair. Um, he doesn't remember details, dates, and you know, I just, I just feel as if I don't have full disclosure. Um, not because he's not willing to share the information with me; it's he really, truly doesn't remember. Um, dates of, you know, when it began, when it ended, and then, of course, you know, in between, the actual affair. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm really struggling with not having this full disclosure and not having some of the details that I, that I feel I need to move on. Um, yes. So are when there you... Are suggestions you can offer for me? Yeah, yeah. Let, let, me, let me clarify a couple things. When you say an un- inability to talk about when the affair started or when it ended, are, are you saying that he can't even give you kind of a, a broad es- you know, estimate of a time frame, and, or, or are you saying you're looking for a specific day, day or time yeah, and mean, he's not able to we, provide that? We've been able to put together a timeline based on our life and our family mm-hmm. and events that had happened that we can put um, some type, type of timeline. His affair was about three years of, you know, possibly when it started and possibly when it ended. Um, also based on the timeline of the person he had the affair with as well, her life. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of been putting that together. But, he, you know, there's I don't have any other details. Some of the details that I you know, where they went, they met and, you know, just how often they met and the type of affair. He has a hard time even describing the type of affair that it was. 
it it was a, it was an employer so that he worked with it was a it was a mm-hmm. co-worker uh i i just but you, you know, indicated you get the sense that he's willing to try to work through this and as, as you get the sense that he's trying to be honest but you're frustrated that he can't be more specific about details is that accurate? right he, yes exactly he, he okay. says he, he says he truly just can't remember so here's a situation in which the person that had the affair seems to be genuinely participating in the recovery process wanting to be honest about everything that he can remember mm-hmm. and yet is stating that this affair that happened several years ago now lacks a level of detail that he can't give to her, mm-hmm. but she still wants it. Mm-hmm. Specific information to fill in the gaps of knowledge that she's missing. Sure. Yeah, this is hard because I definitely understand that wanting to know what happened. And I do feel like right when you find out, it's at its height. Mm-hmm. That kind of crazed, like, what, where, when, how, you know. However, The question does always come up in my mind, what is it that you're trying to get with those details? What are you hoping those details will be able to do for you? Yeah, she seems to indicate that they're important, maybe even necessary for her. For her her to move on. And you're asking why. Yeah. You know, what what is it about that level of detail to know the exact date? How does that help you heal? Right. Because yeah. that, I, I certainly understand, and especially, like I said, right at the outset of finding out, like right after D-Day, you're just in this frenzy of wanting to know mm-hmm. everything. But at the risk of repeating myself, because I know that I've said this in past podcasts, my theory about this is the betrayed spouse feels like that is the way to rest control back when you have had something happen to you where you feel like all of your control in your marriage... and sometimes in your life has been stripped away from you because your spouse did this. It feels so bad, like you're out of the loop. You don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it feels very whirlwind, chaotic kind of lack of control. And I feel like sometimes we get in this thing of thinking that if we know everything that happened, then we're on the same page with everybody else your spouse and the affair partner don't have any secrets anymore. You're involved now. Now you know. So it's not a secret being held from you. I think sometimes it gets into that and you truly feel like if you don't know every single detail or close to it, that you're still not in the loop, that you're still left out. And I think sometimes it really can be about control. Sometimes I think even a simpler explanation can be simply that so much of our self-awareness and our identity is wrapped up into the story of our lives. Mm -hmm. And when we're living a particular reality Mm -hmm. and our expectation is, I know what my experience is, I know Mm -hmm. what my marriage is, Mm -hmm. I know, and we can even project in the future and we know what that future, at least we have pretty good ideas of what we Mm -hmm. expect it to be. And then one day you find out that all along, you didn't have a true picture of what was going Mm -hmm. on. That can really mess up your sense of, well, what's real anymore? And this need to go back and make sense of something that I thought was one way and now it's something else Mm -hmm. this need this urge to go back and make as much sense so that my life makes sense yeah our marriage makes sense again Mm -hmm. so whether that's control or whether it's simply a need to bring a clarity to whatever reality there is to my life and marriage it's it can get pretty complicated Mm -hmm. sometimes now Mm -hmm. 
whatever's driving it, and we see it a lot. I mean, people yeah. want to know what happened, what was the truth. So give mm-hmm. me the narrative so it can make as much sense to me as it does to you. You sure, lived it. You I lived didn't. It I so didn't. I, want exactly. to, I want it to make sense of mm-hmm. to me as well. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Once an experience is lived, you can never go back and recall that with absolute clarity. Again. No. Memory is very fluid. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's the story that we live and the um, absolute truth of what that was. But then there's that story we tell about the story we live. Sure. That really becomes our reality. Oh, yeah. I become convinced that that's the truth. Mm-hmm. He has a story he tells about what he experienced. Mm-hmm. And as she learns details, there's a way that she tells that story. Mm-hmm. They're not even the same. Mm-hmm. In fact, neither of them have a real accurate narrative of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. Our memories start changing. Sure. And when you start pressing someone for a level of specific detail, that can be very frustrating because you're asking for something they can't give. I've had many betrayed spouses that I think really were invested in the healing process mm-hmm. who would say to me, Tim, she wants to know things or he wants to know things that I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. But they keep going back to that question over and over again. And I almost feel like I should make something up just to bring relief mm-hmm. to them. And I get that urge. I don't mm-hmm. encourage it. I think yeah. you need to stay mm-hmm. with the truth. I've also been part of situations where there was so much pressure put on the unfaithful partner, the involved partner, to remember certain details. They can't remember them, but they really work hard. They struggle to do it. They give a lot of time and attention to it, and then they start recalling things about it. Mm -hmm. And I sit there and watch, and I listen, and I'm pretty sure that what they're recalling, and they're not making anything up. They think they're genuinely recalling it. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure those are probably false memories. Why do you think that? Oh, because I know that happens. There's so much study that goes on. And that is the exact environment in which those false memories can be incubated, you know, Mm -hmm. which they can be borne out. So much pressure to think a certain way. Many times there are specific accusations that the betrayed spouse is saying, well, I know you and I know this is probably what happened. And their imagination can put a clarity to it that the betrayed spouse listens to it enough and they start remembering those things. Quote, remembering. Mm -hmm. I sit there listening and going, I doubt that that's true. They probably both are convinced that it's true now, Mm -hmm. but it probably isn't. And the problem is that sometimes those memories are really destructive. I mean, Mm. they're specific in ways that, you know, if they didn't happen, you're you're bringing something into it that now is going to be a trigger, going to be a a hook that's going to be hard to get over. So I'm just always suspicious of the kind of memories that suddenly get brought out again after time of pressure and Mm -hmm. insistence that you recall something. By the way, I do write about this in the other book. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The Couples Guide, Recovery Guide for Couples. That's also available. It comes free with the um, Guide for Betrayed Spouses, but you can buy it separately. You can also get that information at AffairHealing.com. But I I talk about the different kinds of memory and the process of recalling memory and why you need Mm. to be careful. So I, I guess... This is really difficult, and it's Mm -hmm. frustrating because she has that urge in her to know every bit of detail. I guess if I was sitting with her, I'd say, you are wanting something that's impossible to have. Yeah. The level of detail you want, you can't have. And listen, there are a number of things listening to what she said that makes me realize why he probably has difficulty recalling that. Mm. One, it was so long ago. ago. Mm -hmm. Secondly, when there is an affair that is secret, when Mm -hmm. there's deception going on, Mm -hmm. a way a person processes the memory of that is really an attempt to 
to diffuse the the details of mm. it. They're not trying to recall everything because they don't want to get ever tripped up. Mm. They want to put it kind of back into that fuzzy, clouded, foggy place mm. in their own mind. And that makes it really harder as time goes on to recall the details. Wow. It really does. Do you think There's, they're somewhat dissociating from it? A little bit. Wow. Yeah, that's what deception does. If you wanted to give a clear account of something to someone, you would be attentive to the details as they were happening to try to give as accurate a picture as possible. And Mm -hmm. you'd still get it wrong. Mm -hmm. But when you don't want to give a clear account, in fact, when you want to hide it, you're not giving attention to what happened, when did it happen, putting that Mm -hmm. in your calendar, Mm -hmm. living it over and over again. And so it's putting it into a more fuzzy place. And as time goes by and that person isn't talking about it with anybody, they're not recalling it Mm -hmm. with someone that shared the experience, Mm -hmm. then that gets harder and harder to accurately recall. Sure. Yeah. So my thinking is that she would benefit greatly from starting to do that introspective stuff where she kind of asks herself, maybe even keeping a journal and saying this detail, that detail that I want to know, and then asking herself deeply, you know, what am I hoping to get from knowing this? Mm-hmm. How will this make me feel better? How will this heal me? How is it that I feel this is connected to me, quote, getting better or getting healed or moving forward? How am I hoping that's going to help me? Um, because sometimes if you just even write it all out and start to kind of do almost like the elementary kind of pros and cons list or whatever, I think there's that ability to reframe something so that it's no more about, oh, I need to know this in order to move on. That's a blank spot. I need to fill that in in order to move on. But to actually go deeper and go, wait, why? Mm -hmm. What am I hoping to get from that? What Mm -hmm. am I hoping knowing this date or this time or where they went? If I know, let's pretend that I found out. Now imagine how it feels. How does it help? I think most would say, well, it just feels like relief when I finally know it. But you and I both know that that relief is rather short-lived. Oh, absolutely. Because now when I know the specific day, the specific time, the specific place, the specific person, okay, there's a relief now that I can have an accurate picture of that. That also means you have a very <laughs> specific triggers moving forward. Right. Our experience by far is that it tends to be much more detrimental than helpful. It, it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to, okay, now I have a target. Let's go do some EMDR, <laughs> you know, but um, in a lot of cases, it's just another piece of information to hurt you in the future as yeah. you think about it. I think the kinds of work we try to do is to help people understand, listen, this is about forgiveness. Mm. It's about healing, but it's about forgiveness. How much information do you need to know in order to be able to really forgive? Mm -hmm. And then if the details beyond that, ask yourself, as you said, why do I believe that's helpful to me? Mm-hmm. Is it just because I need to fill in all the gaps? Yeah. Why? Why do you need to fill in all the gaps? Well, and also, and, and maybe there is a legitimate reason. That's why I'm saying okay. to do that, to think about it. It's like, what if you go, okay, what am I hoping that'll do to help me? And what if there really is like a thing? Mm-hmm. Well, because if I know this, then X, Y, Z. Oh, okay. Well, then, okay. Then then I get why that's so important. But I, But my suspicions are that typically, generally, those details, when you say, wait, what is it that I'm hoping to get from this? What am I hoping this will do for me? You're going to sit there and think about it and go, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. it's going to be the same. The well, same I'm hurt. I'm sure is they're be- convinced that there's going to be a sense of relief. Yeah, again, and, and it will be a short, like, right. oh, okay, That's I That's why, you know, if you, if you have any trust that we want to help in your healing, mm-hmm. 
believe us when we say we've been through this with many, yep. many, many people. And I'm not going to say that there's never been a person that says, listen, I went ever after every detail because I thought I needed it. And I think that that was the best thing for me. Yeah, I'm I've sure heard there that. are people that. I've heard yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But they are, if that's true, it's the rare exception. Mm-hmm. And by far, we hear from people, I shouldn't have gone after so much detail. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. need it. And now it's in my way. Or it's just, it's not that it's in your way, but it's just not satisfying like you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, and then you're like, oh, yeah, nothing really feels better because of knowing it. Yeah. When you know that the person you love has betrayed you mm-hmm. in an ultimate way, mm-hmm. understanding how long it went on, how far it went along, mm-hmm. who it was with, those are the things that are, that's where the betrayal lies. Mm-hmm. That's where the pain of it lies. The other stuff is just the details mm-hmm. of it and mm-hmm. probably contribute very little to the healing. Mm-hmm. In fact, it can be helpful if some of that stuff remains a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's a personal introspection kind of exercise mm-hmm. to kind of figure out, okay, where is this actually coming from? What am I hoping yeah. will happen once I know this? But bottom line, just want to say to those of you that feel like you need to every detail, what you're wanting is something that's impossible to get. And if you insist on that, it's going to lead you to frustration. Mm. And I'm not trying to let someone off the hook that's being no. obviously evasive. Absolutely not. That's why I asked, what's your sense of what he's trying to do? And she said, he's trying. He wants to be honest. He's yeah. really working. So I said, well, then at some point you got to say, what I have is enough. Mm-hmm. Let's stop looking back yeah. and let's focus on the present and the yeah. future. Um, short backstory, my husband and I, or my husband had an affair I found out back in March. It's been a really, really rough time. We were married 25 years. We're still married. We've chosen to work on the marriage and stay together. At a point about a month ago, I really felt like I had forgiven him. It was something I felt internally. <laughs> and I said to him, I, I really believe I've forgiven you. And he really is trying. I know that. Um, it just broke him and he, he felt, you know, we just got really, really close. But recently, and I believe it's triggers coming back because I believe the first, they had an emotional affair for a long time and then they had a physical affair back in December of last year. So we just passed the weekend that I believe they had their first encounter. But all these feelings came back. How do you know when you've truly forgiven? Well, forgiveness is a sticky subject. It's hard. I think forgiveness is almost like grief where there are stages. And I talk to clients a lot about the stages of grief and how I think we mistake them for being linear a lot. We think, oh, we go through first denial, then anger, then depression. Mm-hmm. then. Um, but they really are like loops. They loop, It loops back on itself. You go through the different stages and you think you're done with one, but then it comes back later. You're like, oh, I thought, of that. I thought it was done with that one. And sometimes I think forgiveness is like that. Forgiveness looks like different things at different times. It's definitely a process. You can, quote, feel you've forgiven someone and you really have. But then like the caller said, triggers. Triggers are separate from forgiveness because triggers are only happening in that part of the brain that is fight, flight, or freeze, that is having the giant emotional reaction, that is having sort of a post-traumatic stress reaction. And they aren't logical and they certainly aren't 
like spiritual. <laughs> and I really think that forgiveness is something that happens on more of that spiritual level. And I know not everybody believes in spiritual things, but it's a very internal thing. But she even says that a month ago she mm-hmm. thought she was there. It was came I know, from but I think her. there's a good possibility she actually was yeah, there. Yeah. But then a trigger came along. Well, forgiving someone doesn't mean you don't Absolutely. But there's no more pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Forgiveness means that you have, in a very real way, found the ability to release that person that hurt you. Yeah. So when the pain comes, Mm -hmm. this is what I think is a good picture of forgiveness, Mm -hmm. that when the pain comes, the reminders come, whatever those triggers are, forgiveness refuses to step back in the past Mm -hmm. and grab the offense Mm -hmm. and use it either as a defense or a weapon mm-hmm. against the other person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness can recognize and be honest about the pain mm-hmm. and yet deals with it in a way that allows connection to happen in mm-hmm. the present and the future. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You don't make a declaration of forgiveness and you never struggle with that again. Right. But the very fact that she's asking this question, I think, is evidence of the fact that she's forgiving him. You well, know? sure. Instead of saying, oh, well, I thought I'd forgive you, but yeah, forget it. You know, you don't deserve it from me. Right. That she doesn't want to, in her pain, be hurting the relationship or hurting him. Yeah. That means that's someone whose heart is Absolutely. Heart. And that's the thing. Like, when you feel like it came from a deep place, like she said, it came from really a place inside of her where she really felt like, I've forgiven you. That's powerful. And I would really encourage her not to start doubting that when she gets a trigger. Mm -hmm. Because again, triggers aren't rational. It's that that part of your brain does not understand that time has passed and the thing is not still happening. That part of the brain doesn't understand that you're not still in that situation. And so when it rises up because you get a trigger, like an anniversary, I will talk about anniversaries too for a second. Anniversaries are extremely fraught. Um, Every person that I've ever talked to that's gone through any kind of upsetting thing remembers the anniversary or the time of year it was. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? They may not remember a specific date, but it, it's a, a yearly thing for them or and There whatever. will be an emotional response. Yes. yes. I mean, you That's definitely normal. have that happen. And so it's, you know, we talk about that with the anniversary of death for somebody, you know, when they've had a loved one pass away, you know, in the anniversary, it's always like, I know it's coming. I'm, I'm aware, yet it still hits me every single time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But again, that is how our minds process grief and loss and in a sense when there has been an affair in the marriage that sense of grief and loss is real so someone going through her situation if their response to that pain Mm -hmm. and whatever happens at the moment she feels it Mm -hmm. you're very little control of that Mm -hmm. but the choices she makes afterwards Mm -hmm. if her choice in that pain is to withdraw from him to hold him at a distance Mm -hmm. and to just sit in that pain again and make him pay or just Mm -hmm. you know play it safe then that's evidence that well you need to continue working on forgiveness. Forgiveness yeah. has more of a work to do, which, again, it's a process. Right. It's, it's very few people get to the point of forgiveness, and it's never an issue again. But that would be evidence that forgiveness needs to work. Or if a response was after the initial feeling of the pain and whatever the gut reaction or instinctive reaction was, the ongoing choice was to go to battle with him, mm-hmm. to hurt him, mm-hmm. to use it as a weapon against him. Mm-hmm. That would also be evidence that, okay, forgiveness, come back to forgiveness. It mm-hmm. needs to do more work in you. Mm-hmm. But it's natural. 
in those moments when you have those reactions, the emotional triggers, and whatever response that initially evokes, that's normal. But you can then turn and instead of withdrawing and being defensive or attacking and trying to hurt, you can be honest about the pain. Sure. You can say, I'm hurting right now. Mm -hmm. But there can be an invitation to the person that caused it Mm -hmm. to actually come in and bring comfort and relief to Mm -hmm. you. That's what forgiveness will do. Forgiveness will lead you towards each other Mm -hmm. again. Well, and again, forgiveness is the act of releasing that person from punishment, I guess is how I would say it. Um, It is saying, I release you. You hurt me, and yet I release you. I'm not going to, quote, make you pay and that does not mean that you're not going to still hurt at no. times. That's, it just means that's that in just... your hurt, you're not going to just run back to the past and, and sit there yeah. with all the reactions it evokes. It, you're going to deal with the pain in regards to the present. Mm-hmm. And how what, This is what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. How can you help bring relief or comfort mm-hmm. to me in this mm-hmm. in regards to the future of where do I want to go? You yeah. know, I want to continue healing in this. Mm-hmm. That's what forgiveness will do. Yeah, and so it is. It's a It's a long time thing. You know, it'll probably take a long time she'll have different things crop up and hurt. But don't allow that to steal your feelings of satisfaction in feeling like, yeah, I've really released you from this and I have forgiven you. No, in fact, we would have probably told her coming up to a weekend like this, oh, you can expect you're going to feel some things. And it's probably necessary for you to go through these reactions. That's what normal people do. Yeah. Just learning how to respond to it in a way that can continue to help the relationship Mm -hmm. instead of tearing it apart again will be easier as forgiveness continues to do its work. When I have my triggers, because I'm the betrayed spouse, I really have a difficult time, you know, shutting my mouth (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I know that I should because it just I know how it's going to go um and it 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 never really goes well um but I feel badly afterwards like yeah and I, I is that like a normal feeling to feel like horrible after of course I can't shut my mouth and then I say things and then you know we kind of get into a an argument and then yeah then I feel awful, and that makes yeah, me so, so, so are you saying things out of anger, saying things maybe to hurt him or to blame, that sort of thing? Is that um, what you're... 50% of the time, yes. And, that, and that's what you feel bad about? I do. I just need to learn how to shut my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Anger is not only a normal response, it's actually a healthy response. Anger is not a bad thing. That's it's what right. you do with your anger That's that right. makes a difference. That's right. We shouldn't try to say, oh, I'm not, not going to be angry. Good people don't get angry. No, good oh. people get angry. Human people get angry. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't help it. It's an emotion that, that comes out, but what you choose to do mm-hmm. in that anger. And it's good to hear that when her choice is to say biting things mm-hmm. or to attack him, mm-hmm. that she feels bad about it afterwards because sure. that is destructive. Sure, it is. It does not. Back to this thing we were talking about, about what are you trying to get out of this? You know, I think it's a basic counseling thing where we wonder, okay, so what are you getting out of this? Because every human behavior is motivated by something. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get something. That's what we do, right? You're trying to get something. And even if you're doing it in an unhealthy way, you're trying to get something out of what you're doing. And so what is it that she's trying to get out of these biting responses? You know, when she says mean things because she's angry, there's something she's trying to elicit from him. What do you think that is? I don't know. 
I mean, do, do you think sometimes it's that um, intentional? No, I'm oh, okay, saying, okay. you know sometimes how... Sometimes it's he, almost like instinctual. Like, yeah. I'm hurt, so I'm going to hurt you back. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm saying, I think she's trying to get something out of it. I'll give you an example of, of when I've done this. In my first marriage, I remember being angry at least a couple times. <laughs> Actually, over the course of a couple of years, when things were bad with us and I felt like he wasn't connecting in any way... And I would say biting things. You know this about me. I When I'm mad, you? I can no. be very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I use words as weapons at times. I am a word lover, and I can unfortunately use them when I'm angry in some biting ways. So I remember doing that, and I do remember at one point having that thought that what I wanted from him was to see some genuine remorse Almost like I wanted to hurt him so he could see how bad I was hurting mm -hmm. and that there would be some kind of compassionate response of, oh, my gosh, you're so angry because I did this to you. Yeah, well, how did that work? It didn't. Yeah, cause, Obviously. Because when someone's angry at us, our instinctive response is to be defensive or to fight back. Right. It does not evoke empathy no, at all. But I'm just saying yeah. I realized okay. that about myself years ago. I was like, whoa, why am I saying those things that are mean? Mm -hmm. What is that? So I think sometimes there is that primal undercurrent of trying to get something. You may not be thinking about it. You are not aware of it. In your anger, though, you say things and lash out. Well, yeah, I think anger is self-protective. It's almost instinctive. Sometimes it's intentional and planned out, but it usually either causes us to lash out and to hurt, to evoke you know, whatever response or anger can cause us to shut down and just protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's very self-empowering. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that she feels bad afterwards is probably a good sign because mm -hmm. she recognizes this hurts a relationship. It doesn't sure. help it. And I want to be very clear. When a betrayed spouse expresses anger, especially at the beginning of the healing process, it's normal. Mm -hmm. We don't try to tell people, ooh, stop being angry, oh, stop no. being angry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is just an instinctive response. It's mm -hmm. coming out. Mm -hmm. You need to accept that it's going to happen. But at the same time, I'm reluctant to just say, hey, anger is a good thing. You just need to say as much as you want to say no. and let it out because I mean, it is destructive. It can be. Even though you can't stop it right now, it's, it can be very destructive. Mm -hmm. So at the point when you begin to realize I need to exercise some control of this, which she recognizes afterwards, mm -hmm. that is actually a good thing. This kind of goes back to the previous question, you know, about whether I've forgiven or not. Mm. Our responses can be one way, and we can hardly even help it when anger just comes out mm. in, re in response to something. But we can begin controlling what we do with that anger. And mm. one of the things that we encourage people to do is don't use your anger as a weapon. Don't use your anger as a wall. Mm -hmm. Use your anger as an indicator, hmm. as a reminder to you that there's something I'm feeling and I can just focus on the anger and respond to that or I can allow myself to be more vulnerable mm -hmm. and tell you why I'm angry. Sure. And usually we are angry because we're either afraid of something mm -hmm. or because we feel powerless because we mm -hmm. want something but something's inhibiting us, keeping mm -hmm. us from getting what we want or we feel shameful mm -hmm. or like a failure mm -hmm. or embarrassed or we feel hurt. Sure. Physical or emotional pain. It mm -hmm. could be any or a combination of those right. things. Those conversations, by the way, are vulnerable conversations. Yeah. For me to talk about being afraid, for me to talk about being powerless, talking about feeling embarrassed or like a failure or shamed, mm -hmm. or for me to talk about hurting, mm -hmm. 
those are vulnerable conversations. Yeah. I'm giving you permission to step in and speak to those things. And I don't know whether you're going to hurt me more or that's whether right. you're going to be attentive and empathetic or mm-hmm. whether I'll be disappointed. Sure. But that's where anger should lead us, mm-hmm, to talk about that stuff underneath instead of just letting the anger drive what we're doing. Sure. So I'm going to say it one more time, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think mindfulness is the key in those kinds of situations. If you practice being more mindful, being more aware of your existence in your brain you know like what am I thinking and what's happening in my head right now if you do that when you're not having a trigger if you do that when you're not in the middle of an Mm -hmm. argument Mm -hmm. if you start practicing being able to be cognizant of what you're thinking why you're thinking it and all that good stuff if you practice that then when you are in those heated situations you are more readily able to say whoa whoa wait yeah. I'm going to bite my tongue here and not yeah. say something that I'm going to regret later. Yeah. And I'm going to ask myself, what is it that's really going on with yeah. me right now? And even when you fail to do that, mm-hmm. afterwards to be able to go back and have the more vulnerable conversation. Sure. Say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, my anger led me against you or mm-hmm. caused me to get really defensive. I'm sorry for that. Mm-hmm. Here's what's really going on. And this is the conversation I wish I would have had with you, but let's have it now. Sure. And that can be a healing thing. And you'll oh, get yeah. better at it the more you do it. You do. It's practice. Yeah. You have to practice it just like everything else, you know. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by AffairHealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for a fair recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to affairhealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.